This is the Idlewild Bible School, 1982, the third day and the third study in the general theme of Philippians, and the title of today's talk is I Can Do All Things Through Christ, and this will be led by Brother Bob Lloyd. Thank you. Good morning, brethren and sisters. Are we prepared to recite? All right. You ready? Those? quite as organized as yesterday. <laughs> you know, you need a little... When you have a lot of things like that to remember, I, I remembered left, right, and his, which helped me, because they had learned and received, that's left and right, and learned and received... <laughs> heard, heard and seen is his. <clears throat> Yeah, I see how good I've done it. But use little things that help you remember things, um, because uh, you get a lot of words like that. Which ones comes first? <clears throat> well, just one little thing in, in the beginning. Today, of course, we have our brother Ralph King as our presider. He's from Dunedin, and he and his lovely family uh, have to leave tomorrow, God willing. They have a plane out tomorrow night for home, so I know that you join me in wishing them Godspeed on their homeward journey. But also, today happens to be his birthday. <laughs> so I know you again join me in wishing him the very best. It's, his birthday is already over if he was home, because today is tomorrow over there. <laughs> Paul called the Ecclesia in Philippi his joy and crown. He loved this ecclesia, and his letter to them reflects the love and the joy that they shared. When Paul left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, but Luke didn't go with him. He kept Luke in Philippi to nourish this new little ecclesia which had just begun. But as soon as he gets to, to uh, Thessalonica, the Philippian brethren and sisters, because they loved him so much, they keep, kept sending him gifts. And you see this in Philippians Chapter 4 and verse 16. For when he was in Thessalonica, he says, You sent once, no, not once, once and again unto my necessity. So he was always thankful that these Philippian brethren and sisters were so conscious of his needs. In fact, they seemed to help him almost more than any other. Because when he was writing to the Corinthians in the 11th chapter of his second letter to them in verse 9, he says, When I was present with you, and I, was, I wanted, I had needed things, I, I didn't ask you for them, I was chargeable to no man, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And of course, Philippi was a chief city of Macedonia. So again, they seemed to follow him around with their gifts, taking care of Paul the best way they could, because they loved him so much. So now, we've just been reading leading up to the book of Philippians, his first visit to Philippi. His second visit to Philippi occurred during his third missionary journey. 
when he was going out, on his way out. And that's when he wrote to the Corinthians about what had happened and how the Philippians had looked after him. Then on his way back from that journey, he stops off again in Philippi. He hadn't planned to do this. His plans got changed, as, as no doubt oftentimes our plans are changed. He had planned to go by sea from Corinth to Syria. But a plot was discovered to try to do away with Paul, and as a result of that, he changed his plans and he came through Macedonia and through Philippi. And you find this in Acts chapter 20 and uh, verse 5. Uh, the previous verses have to do with the, with the fact that there was a uh, uh, there was an uproar and he departed to go to Macedonia, and uh, then he, he gets in verse five that they tarried at Troas for us, and in verse six we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and so this time he picks up um, Luke, Luke who he he had left at Philippi as he comes back on his way through, on his third missionary journey, on his way home, he picks up Luke. And you we can tell that because you can always tell whether Luke's with the group, whether it's they or we. And it begins to be us and we in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 20. So you, now you know that Luke's with the party. But now we come to this letter itself, and Paul is in prison in Rome. And he receives a very welcome visitor. You, many of us who come to Bible school... We haven't seen some of the rest of us maybe for several years or maybe not since last year. And how pleased we are and how much we greet one another. Well, how are you and how are things back home? Well, Epaphroditus comes to visit Paul bringing a gift from the Philippian brethren and sisters. He's brought a generous gift evidently from them. And he's traveled a long way to bring this gift to Paul. I mean, how would you like to travel the way he had to travel as far as he had to travel? Uh, we've come from all parts of the world to this Bible school, but that's thanks to the fact that knowledge has been increased and we're able to run to and fro. But it wasn't true in his day. They put one foot in front of the other in order to get from place to place. And the distance between Philippi and Rome was equal to the distance from Idlewild to Grants Pass, Oregon. Now, some of you are from Grants Pass. I wonder if you would have come to the Bible school if you had had to walk here. And then you have to walk back. So that's what Epaphroditus had gone through. He probably took him a full month to make the trip. Now, it seems that Epaphroditus was not only to to bring him this gift and bring him the greetings <clears throat> of his brethren. But he also was to stay with Paul and be a, a minister, kind of a servant, to do what he could to help Paul while he's in prison. But unfortunately, Epaphroditus uh, gets sick. He's sick for home as well. And he's worried about his people back home because he's worried that they're worried about him. And you know, that's how it is. When you, you worry because your mother worries about you, so you worry about her because she's worrying about you. Well, I think Epaphroditus was kind of like that about the folks at home. And so Paul decides the best thing to do is, is send him back. And so in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25, Paul says, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger... And he that ministered to my wants. So he was there to, to be a minister to the needs and the wants of Paul. And Paul is kind of worried 
that when Epaphroditus gets back, and he said, how come you're back, Epaphroditus? I thought you were supposed to be with Paul, taking care of Paul. Well, I got sick and I had to come home. Well, you didn't do a very good job. You should have stayed on the job. I mean, Paul was worried that the brethren and sisters in Philippi would be down on Epaphroditus. So because Paul was always thinking of somebody else, never thinking of his own self, never thinking of his own comforts, but always of other people, and this is what we need to learn, isn't it? That's the way we know whether we're ready for meat or not, is if we care about one another. And so he says to us in verse 29, he gives this uh, letter of approval. He praises Epaphroditus and he, he really begs them to approve of him and to accept him. Receive him there, he says, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Don't look down on Epaphroditus. Hold him up because he's been very ill and he almost died. And I'm so thankful he didn't die and I'm sending him home. Now take care of him. He was supposed to be taking care of Paul. Paul's worried about him. And verse 30, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. So here is Paul in prison thinking of Epaphroditus and trying to make things easier for him. This is really the peak of Christian love, Christian caring for one another. We learn lessons from these brethren. Now the letter to the Philippians, really there were four, you perhaps could think of more, but we have come up with four main reasons for this letter to have been written from Paul to the Philippians. Reason number one was a thank you letter. When you get a gift from somebody, if you're polite, you write them a little letter. Say thank you for the gift. Some people don't do that, but it's a good thing to do it. If you don't do it, learn a lesson from Paul. When you get a gift, write and thank people. They like it. You might get another one if you do. You might not if you don't. <laughs> but you should keep on giving gifts even if people don't say thank you because Jesus said to. But it's amazing how some people don't seem to remember just the simple courtesies. Some of these things, even the world does better than we do. So let's remember, if someone says, sends you something, I'll write him a thank you letter. Paul did. Reason number two. It's a letter to fill the minds and hearts of the Philippians with the spirit of joy and gladness. It's a letter to pep them up and make them happy. Number three. It's a letter to give them spiritual guidance. And reason number four. It's a letter to appeal to them for unity. We're going to look at each of these reasons as the week progresses, God willing. But not only does Paul thank the Philippians for their gift, he thanks God for the Philippians. Because he says, every recollection that I have of you is a cause of thankfulness to God. And that's verse 3 of chapter 1 in another version. But, but God was thanking, Paul was thanking God for the Philippians. Do you, do you thank God for your brothers and sisters? Do you thank God every day for your wife? Do you thank God every day for your husband? Do you thank God every day for your children? I mean, you can't believe what a difference it makes in your life when you keep thanking God for the things which you sometimes might take for granted. Now, one of the primary reasons for this letter, we said, was to encourage them to be happy and filled with joy. Paul is trying to teach the Philippians to be happy. And as Brother Paul Phillips said this morning, you're all going to be happy when I'm finished. <laughs> but I think if we learn the lesson that Paul is trying to teach us, we will be happier 
when we're finished because the letter to the Philippians will become so real and so vibrant in our lives if we listen to it. Of course, sometimes we just read words and go right on. But if we let this message sink down and become a part of us, we will never be the same again. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can leave Idlewild in 1982 and never be the same as you were before because of the letter to the Philippians? And look how many times you've read it. But sometimes we need to, to draw these things out. They were written for our learning. That's why we're so thankful to have these opportunities to come together. Because this isn't just something for us to spend an hour a day on for six days. This is something to take into our lives and use for the rest of our life. And if we do it the way Paul wanted to do it, you're going to be happy from now on. And if you don't, you didn't listen to Paul. One can be happy even if things are not going really well for them. <laughs> things weren't going very well for Paul. He was happy. And, and then we can be miserable when we have everything going for us. People can be in the lap of luxury, having all the things that they, people think are make for happiness, health, prosperity, and they're miserable. I mean, the rich people are miserable. You look at rich people and their mouths turn down. You, if you want to watch people, just notice people when they, you don't know that they're watching you. And they're, just watch where the curves of their mouths and their, their wrinkles and everything go. And, you know, after a while it gets like set in concrete. Let's turn everything up and, and make sure that we look happy because if you want to be happy, act happy. And if you act happy, you get happy. And if you want to be miserable, act miserable, feel miserable, and you'll get miserable. And you say, sure, I'm right, I'm, I'm miserable. I told you I would be. Abraham Lincoln said that most people are about as happy as they make up their mind to be. And it's true. We, we decide every day whether we're going to be happy or miserable. And, and a lot of people manufacture unhappiness. There's a true story about a man and woman, very successful businessman evidently, and they're on a train in bygone days when trains were the way to travel. And they were in the diner, and of course eating in the diner of a, of a train was really luxury in those days. White tablecloths and everything, beautiful silver and everything just right. And there was a table for four, but the dining room was fairly filled, and there was just a man and his wife at this table. And so another man came in, and he's standing there, and he's looking around, he sees that there's no place to sit. And so this gentleman, being a gentleman, motioned to him. He says, here, you, we're just not, there's only two of us at our table. Would you like to share the table with us? We'd be glad to have you. So he sits down and he thanks them. And they're getting in a conversation. And they each tell the other what they do for a living. And the woman, she's sitting there looking out the window, never smiled, never spoke, just ignored him, you know. And uh, finally, the, the husband says, my wife here, she's in the manufacturing business. And the other fellow looked at her. She didn't look like a business person. He says, oh, is that right? Yes, she, she manufactures unhappiness. <laughs> and there are people like that. No matter what you do for them, they manufacture unhappiness. They're going to find some way to be miserable. I mean, here we are at Bible school. What a marvelous... The weather's blessed us. We've been blessed with a... Uh, beautiful place to meet, away from the world. We all get, got here safely. We're all enjoying a certain amount of good health. We have everything to be happy about. But you know what I know? I know right now there's people in this audience that are miserable. And I don't know who you are. I'm not, don't think I'm pointing my finger at you, because I don't know. But I just know there are, because you can't get a crowd of people this big without having somebody miserable. It just, and it's so sad, because we don't need to be that way. And so if you're miserable, you decided to manufacture misery. 
And I think some people think that miserableness is next to godliness. And that's not in the Bible. And, and so, we, why would anybody wake up in the morning and think, hmm, it's another day, I think I'll be miserable. Well, you know people do decide to be miserable, because if you don't decide to be miserable, you won't be. So anybody who is miserable, you have consciously made it this decision. Today, I'm going to be miserable. And I've, you, you can see this in your little kitties. You know, they get in a bad mood, and, you know, and they just want to be mad. And what do you matter? I don't know, but I'm mad at something. You know, and, and some, you can sure, you, but we get a little better facade. I mean, we, we can always find something to be miserable about. I mean, you do, you, you always, it's never you, right? It's always the other person. You forgot to darn my socks, or you sewed up the end instead of the toe, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but always you have some reason to, to be miserable. So let, let's decide to be happy. I mean, that's what Paul's really got to teach us as we go through this letter. Pa Paul was in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's awaiting the verdict to see what's going to happen to him. He has appealed to Caesar, and he doesn't know for sure what's going to happen. He believes he's going to be released. But there is the possibility that he will be executed. And at a later time, uh, that did happen. He was. But he, he was, in this time, released, we're thankful to know. But he didn't know for sure. Just like yesterday, he didn't know he was going to get out of that prison at midnight. He didn't know when he was going to be there. He was in prison two years, just waiting to, to be heard. So he could have decided, well, I can't be happy now. As soon as I get out of jail, I'll be happy. But what does he tell us in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11? Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, not some things, all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. How can you do this, Paul? Because I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And you can too. The same Christ he worshipped is the one that we worship. And he's as powerful today as he was when Paul penned these words. One commentator on the Philippians summed up the letter by saying, The sum of the epistle is, I rejoice, you must rejoice. And when we understand the position that Paul was in, and he was happy, we can say, well, if you can be happy like that, I certainly can be happier in the position I'm in. Sixteen times... Sixteen times in this short little letter, he talks about joy and happiness and rejoicing. Let's trace them. Let's begin at the beginning and follow them through. We're going to count them as we go. Philippians chapter 1, verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. There it is. Verse 18. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Twice in that verse. Verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered up upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy 
and rejoice with you all. Next verse. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Let's see. That's 2, um, 29, down to 3 and 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, not just on weekends, not just on holidays, rejoice in the Lord all the time. And again I say, rejoice. Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Now you count them up, 16 times. Paul is really, when you hear something 16 times in a little letter like this, you really know that Paul's trying to tell you something. He's trying to get something through to you. You would say he was almost like a broken record. He's trying to pound the point home that you and I are to be happy, and he's happy even though you would think he wouldn't be in the position he was in. So if you're not happy now, when are you going to be happy? Oh, well, I'll, I'm going to be happy when? There are a lot of people in this world which are called winners. Not winners, winners. You, you see a little kitty and you say, what are you going to do when you grow up? And you, we started off, what are you going to do when? So, so young people, we went down, we, if we went down to the meadow camp, we see all those young people and we think, oh boy, you know, they don't know how good, good they have it, do they? Because we've been through that. And we ask them, are you happy? Oh no, I'll be happy when? Uh, when, when I get out of school. Oh, I hate school. When I get out of school, then I'll be happy. Um, when, when I get a job. Well, 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 when I get a good job. <laughs> when I buy a car. When I get a car that runs. <laughs> when I get married. When I buy a home. When I get out of debt. When we have children. When the children are a little older. <laughs> when the children are grown. <laughs> when I retire. When, when, when. Then I'm going to be happy. And then we, we come up to the upper camp and we talk to some of you that all of these winds are behind you and you're now retired. And then you say, are you happy? Oh, I remember the good old days when. <laughs> <laughs> And that's so sad. I'm glad you're laughing because if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. <laughs> because this is the only moment in time we have to be happy right now. This is the only one we've got. And don't wait to be happy when something happens. So we go back to chapter 4 and verse 11, which we've already looked at. And we see that you have to learn to do this. It isn't something that you're born with. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned. You ought to underline the word learned. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It's an acquired skill. We have to learn to be happy. 
And we have to learn to be happy in whatever state we're in right now. And not late, later when something else happens. A little saying, not in the Bible, but a very good one. I choose my feelings. I choose to be happy. You really do choose your feelings. You may not consciously say that, but however you feeling, you chose to feel that way. Well, you'd feel the same way I was if you had my troubles. And you justify that you choose to be miserable. But your troubles don't go away just because you choose to be miserable. Why don't you choose to be happy anyway? That's what Paul's saying. In whatever state he was in, I have learned to be content in whatever state that is. If I'm abased, I'm happy. If I'm abounding, I'm happy. If I'm full, I'm happy. If I'm hungry, I'm happy. If I'm suffering need, I'm happy. I mean, why, how can you do that, Paul? How do you do that? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Trouble did not cause Paul to be miserable. He was happy, not because of it, in spite of it. Now, some in, were actually trying to cause Paul trouble while he was in prison. And he could have really got upset about this. Those people, they're just trying to get me in more trouble. i got enough trouble as it is without those people going around preaching Christ to get me in more trouble. But no, he, made, he, 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 he took the things that were sad and he made, he made happiness out of them. Let's look at chapter 1 and verse 18. There were people preaching Christ to cause him to get into more trouble. And he says, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, however it's happening, Christ is preached. And if Christ is preached, I'm happy about it. Yea, I therein do rejoice. Yea, and I will rejoice. He could have got so upset at those people. You know, there's people preaching the truth and they're not sincere. And they're only doing it to get me in trouble. Oh, my, that's terrible. I can't be happy with them doing that. I decided to be miserable today. Not Paul. Chained to a soldier, all kinds of trouble. He still was thinking of other people. That's the best way, of course, to get for your own trouble is to try to help other people with theirs. Forget about yourself and get involved in other people. You can always find somebody worse than you. You're, you're complaining because you don't have any shoes. Well, look at the guy who has no feet. You know, that's an old story, but it's certainly true. But you can be all the time worried. Look, I got no shoes. Well, at least you got feet. Romans 8. We looked at it the other day. But it's so important because it's words we know. It's not words we live. These are words we know. I'm not teaching you anything you haven't read. You have read Philippians maybe a hundred times. You read it twice a year. And then you may have read it other times besides that. But, but these, we have to take these things and get them inside of us. It's no good having your Bible bound in leather. My Bible says it's bound in real Morocco. A Bible is no good bound in real Morocco. It's only bound, good if it's bound in human's flesh. You've got to get it out of this leather and in this leather. And then you'll be happy. No matter what condition you're in, you're going to be happy. That's the promise. Because all things, all the time, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Now, if you feel sorry for yourself, it's the very worst form of egotism. You know who you're thinking about when you're feeling sorry for yourself? You're thinking about yourself. Oh, little, poor little old me. And you're supposed to forget about yourself and thank God for your troubles and begin to watch wonderful things begin to happen.
Remembering the story yesterday of the, in the jail. Paul was not thinking about his back. He was not thinking about the stocks holding his feet secure. He was praising God. And it's a strange thing, but it's, it's, it's almost like a miracle. But, but if you literally force yourself to thank God for the very thing that's happened that you think is bad, it releases it. And a peace and a calm comes over you that you never had before. You can cope with it, and God blesses you. I have a talk which is not this one, but it's a talk that I gave in Australia. And I remember after one of these talks, I'd given it the night before, and this young girl came up to me and she, she came up and said, Oh, Brother Bob, Uncle Bob, I think she called me. And she put her, hand on my, her head on my shoulder and she starts to cry. And she's sobbing away. She says, I just got sacked today. That's their word for being fired. And she says, And I'm thanking God. <laughs> it was a hard thing for her to do. She heard the talk the night before and got fired the next day. I saw her this year and I asked her and she said, everything's worked out wonderful. But that's what happens. There's something, you see, when you thank God for your troubles, as Paul is going to teach us, it releases it. You turn it over to God. It, it couldn't have happened if he didn't allow it. Now, he, don't, I don't mean by that he caused it. We sometimes cause our own troubles. But he certainly allowed it or he could have prevented it from happening. And if you've got a trouble, one thing is you can be thankful you're alive because dead people don't have any. So the very fact you've got troubles at least proves you're alive. Now, <laughs> now you thank God for those troubles and then you ask God to help you and He always will. When you release it to Him, He will. Now, Paul is listening to Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who taught Paul how to do this. And so if we go to Luke chapter 6, we find Jesus teaching us what Paul learned, and Paul is now telling the Philippians and us. And Jesus is saying to us in Luke chapter 6 and verse 22, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. Oh, goodness, you don't want anybody to hate you, do you? Well, he says, yes, it's okay. It depends on why they hate you, of course. And when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast you out, your, cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Now he's talking about troubles. He's talking about bad things that can happen. He says, "Blessed are you when these things happen." Now he's coming to the punchline. He says, "Rejoice in that day and leap for joy." Why did I do that? It was, was Jesus just saying words? He, 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 he didn't mean for me to do that. I, I mean, he, he's just talking there. That isn't something you really do. You just, just say the word, but sit down when you do it. No, no, I think Jesus literally meant every word he ever said. And when he says, leap for joy when things are going bad, he meant it. And have you ever done it? Have you ever jumped up and down for joy when they just came and told you your car had been stolen? <laughs> or some other reverse which seems terrible to you at the moment? I mean, how, how can you leap for joy then? Well, it couldn't have happened if God hadn't allowed it, whatever it is. And 
Everything that's happening to us, all things, all things, all the time are working together for good. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. So, make your physical body do exuberant, happy things when you when you're, don't feel like it. Because which comes first, the chicken or the egg? I'll be happy when I feel happy. But I don't feel happy now, so I ain't going to be happy. Well, make yourself be happy, and you begin to feel happy. You, you can change your feelings. I have woke up in the morning not feeling very well. Down, big gloom cloud over my head. And I have certain verses that I've memorized. And I just pass them through and I pass them through. And I keep on. It's like, it's like taking a dirty cloth and keep rinsing it in cool water. And you, the dirt, the first time you do it, it all doesn't come out. I can say a Bible verse once or twice and it doesn't change me. But I keep on doing it. And I'll just lay there in bed if I, or if I'm up, I'll, sit, I'll just keep repeating it. And all of a sudden, I'm beginning to feel better. Now, it's, 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 a, it's a slow thing. I mean, all, how many of you have a watch on that has an hour hand on it? Would you please look at your, stare at your hour hand for a moment? Would you tell me, raise your hand when you see the hour hand move. <laughs> see, you can't see it move, but you know hour hands do move. The digital people couldn't participate in that. <laughs> but it moves. And, and you can change your feelings. And it changes gradually, and you can't just say, do it once and say, oh, wow, that's great. But if you'll keep on, you'll find that you change. And we are changing. Brother Mansfield this morning talked to us about being moons, and we're always changing. We're either getting bigger or we're getting littler. We're either waxing or waning all the time. And if you're waning, there's a thing you can do to make yourself go the other way. You can turn around. The moon, once it starts to wane, it's got to go through the whole cycle. And start back. But you don't have to go through the whole cycle. You can turn around wherever you are right now and go back towards God. Because I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Just that little verse, that one alone can change you if you believe it, if you use it, if you do it. It's like everything else. It won't work if you don't. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul says, Paul's got this terrible thorn in the flesh. He doesn't want it. He doesn't like it. He could say, well, when it, when, I, when, it gets, when it goes away, I'll be happy. When? But God says, I, I want you to have it. My grace is sufficient for thee. This is verse 9, chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, that's what God said. To, to, and that's what God says to you and me. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Look at the people He called. Look at us. Look how weak we are. Look how frail we are. Look how inept we are compared to the people of the world. And God picked us. G Jesus preached to the people all the time He was immortal. When He was amortal, not immortal. Soon as He was immortal, all those people never saw Him again. Only His little group. Now, when He was really strong... He didn't preach to him. When he was weak, he did. Now, had I been running the, 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 the show, so to speak, because I think so differently than God does, and that means I'm wrong and he's not, but had I been handling that situation, after Jesus was raised, I'd have had him walk into Pilate's office, barge right through the secretary, say, Pilate, you wash your hands of me. Look at me now. Pilate never saw him. I had to chaos as a high priest. You, high priest, look what you did to me. You put your fingers in my hands. He didn't tell Caiaphas to do that. That was Thomas, one of his own. You see, God works through weak people, and that's us. 
And his strength is made perfect in weakness. So don't think that you can't do it because you're weak. Because you doing your best is better than being the best. Don't forget it. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And because of that, Paul says, Oh, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in necessities. I take pleasure in persecutions. I take pleasure in distresses. Why? For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. It's just that paradox. It's just the opposite of the way we do. We think weakness brings weakness and strength brings strength. And God says, I'm working through you weak people. You do your best. And wherever you are, you be happy and you rejoice and you be thankful for what you do have. Right now. Paul told the Romans, we glory in tribulation. Why in the world would you ever do that, Paul? Well, because tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh us ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. To glory over something means to be happy about it. So you have troubles. Congratulations. You're alive. Paul wants us to be happy with the condition you're in right now. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. You can't take it with you. Paul is in prison. He's got troubles. What do you do when life hands you a lemon? I mean, life does hand us lemons at times, doesn't it? You say, oh, I got a terrible trouble. You got a lemon. Make a lemonade. Turn your, your, your trials into triumphs. We're to overcome. Jesus says, blessed is he that overcometh. Imagine trying to overcome when there's nothing to overcome. Imagine going out and playing tennis with me. You love to play tennis, we'll have a good time. Every time you serve me the ball, I'll stand there and watch you hit the back fence. Then I serve the ball to you and you hit it back and I watch you hit the back fence. We are going to really have a great game of tennis, right? No, you want me to be able to return your serve. You want me to give you some competition. You want to overcome. You want to you beat me, but just barely. But you see, it's no fun, even in sports, if there's no opposition, no... Even, even melodramas. I mean, if, if, the, if the hero got the, got the girl in the first act and the villain was vanquished, then you say it was a lousy play. All the way through, you don't know. Of course, at the end, it, it turns out. But you see, in, in, in entertainment, in life, we, we, we like opposition. But when it comes to me, in my little old life, oh, I don't want any troubles at all, God. Just make it all blue sky for me. And that's not what he's promised us. He's saying that we have to be happy with opposition. We have to be happy with trials. We have to be happy in adversity. If you have a wooden leg, you got a choice. You have a wooden leg. That's a fact. Now you can be miserable or you can be happy. But either way, you got a wooden leg. So learn to be happy and walk on it. It won't make anything better because you sit down and cry about your wooden leg. Get up and try to walk on it. And even people that don't know the truth, there's story after story of people who have overcome adversities, physical adversities and financial adversities, and they were made stronger by it. And here we are, God's chosen people, and we don't want any trouble. And God is saying, look, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. I've got bigger and better things for you. I'm trying to help you. There's a true story about a golfer that has one arm. 
He's quite a good golfer. And he was asked how he could play so well with one arm. And he said, I have discovered that a good mental attitude and one arm is better than a bad mental, bad mental attitude and two arms. It's what you think that counts. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That's the key to happiness. That's the key to joy. You remember that we, when we opened our classes, we said that we were going to learn the secret of true happiness. Paul is the one teaching us this secret. And it's the Lord Jesus that taught it to Paul. Because true happiness is a state of mind. We decide if we're going to be happy or miserable, and we make that decision almost every moment of the day. And we can be happy when things are not going well, and we can be miserable even here at Bible school, there's somebody up here miserable. I hope they won't be after today. But they won't. Once you've decided to be miserable and you love misery, then you're, you know, I'm not going to lose my misery. I'll enjoy it too much. I think some people really almost, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to change habits. Just like, but work at it. And there's a key. There's something you can do. And the thing you do is you learn Bible verses and you keep putting them through your head. And you keep putting them through your head. And they finally, finally filter down. Some of it kind of hangs in there as it goes by. I mean, you, you take a pot of coffee, and you put some coffee in the top, and the, the water in the bottom, and you plug it in. It goes bloop. And you say, here's a cup of coffee. And you say, that's just colored water. It's got to bloop a lot of times, hasn't it? I mean, it takes a while to bloop. And as Brother Mansfield tells you, it takes a long time for tea to seep, or steep. Steep, isn't it? <laughs> You've got to make it just right. Rolling water. Got, anyway, you don't pour the water in and pour Brother Matthew a cup of tea, you won't have it. But if you let it steep a while, then it gets rich. And so if you wake up feeling miserable, start doing something. Feed the verses through. Not just once. You need a lot of bloops before you get this change. Think about poor Jonah. Jonah, of course you all know the story well. He's been miraculously rescued from the belly of the whale. He, he really didn't care about people because he was sad because the people of Nineveh uh, repented and, and God didn't kill them like he wanted them to. Oh, God, kill them all, kill them! And then he goes out to watch and see what's happening. He says, I knew God wasn't going to do it. <laughs> so God makes this nice bush to, uh, plant to grow up over him. And then God prepares a little worm and the worm kills the plant. And here's Jonah, so miserable, he wants to die. Why? Because a plant died. I mean, if you want to be miserable, you can find something to be miserable about. You go out in your garden and there's some weeds. Well, I know I had a reason to be miserable today. <laughs> I mean, you can always find something. And we think, how silly to be miserable because a plant died, Jonah. But if, if you decide to be miserable, you'll find a reason, don't worry. And yet Paul is just telling us the opposite of that. He's saying we can be happy no matter what condition we're in, no matter where we are or what we're doing. You see, Paul had, from a worldly viewpoint, at one time, everything going for him, all the things that seemed important from a worldly viewpoint he had. He lists them in chapter 3 of Philippians. He lists seven things. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, a touching the law of Pharisee, concerning his persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is the law of blameless. He, today you could say, I, 
I, I belong to the Rockefeller family. I graduated from Harvard. I'm president of a company. I got all this going for me. I belong to the fanciest country club. I have the biggest house in town. And that's what people in the world thinks are important. And what does Paul think of all those things? All these things that some people think they'll be happy when they get, and when they get it, they're not happy, and then they think they want something else, and then they get that, they'll be happy, and they go through life winning, and Paul says, you just Christadelphians, you're going to be happy right now where you are. Because all those things, I consider that just dumb. Refuse. It doesn't matter just that I can win Christ. That's all that matters to me. To win Christ. And we're up here this week learning how to win Christ. We're up here to learn how to be happy, to fit our lives into Christ's mold, to follow Christ, to follow Paul who was following Christ. If you follow Paul, you'll be, he'll lead you right into the kingdom. If you follow the wrong person, you're going to go the wrong way. And people sometimes follow people and they don't know who they're following. There's a story where this fellow was in the fog and he was going in the fog and he wasn't familiar ground and so he, he saw another car going and he decided to follow the fellow and the fellow seemed to just know where he was going so he just kept following him it was so thick and all of a sudden the fellow stopped without any warning and he bumped into him he says what right did you have to stop he says well I'm in my driveway <laughs> but you see if you follow somebody and you don't know where they're going they're going to lead you where you don't want to go and he didn't want to go to that man's driveway I mean are you following Jesus are you following Paul? Are, are, you, are you happy? Are you, are you taking the words that Jesus said literally? He said, rejoice and live for joy. Just try it. When you feel down, just get in your house and may, shut the door so nobody will see that you think you're crazy. Because <laughs> I know you all think I am. But, but Jesus said those words. <laughs> and he meant them. And he wasn't, he, that wasn't an idle phrase. It wasn't just a thing to put in the Bible. He said, because when you leap, it, it, it's exhilarating. Get a trampoline so you can leap higher. <laughs> but leap for joy when you have trouble. Try it. I bet you never have. I don't bet, but I mean, I, 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 would, I would think you never have. <laughs> so the secret of happiness is found here. The secret of happiness is to be content with what you have, not want something you don't have. Accept the lot that you have. Accept the fact that God knows more about you than you do. He knows what you should have and what you shouldn't have. He knows whether you should have poverty or riches. He's never given us neither of those, has He? I mean, there isn't anybody here that's completely poverty-stricken. There's nobody here very rich. We're all in that middle group. But you see, if we trust in riches, of course, that's the end of us. Money, of course, as Paul said, is the root of all evil, right? Wrong. Love of it. There's only one group of people who love money more than rich people, and that's poor people. It's not wrong to have it. It's wrong to love it. And so don't be happy when you have some money or when you have this. You be happy right now. I've learned, says Paul, you have to learn this. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. If you're not happy, it's not God's fault. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Is that you? 
I mean, is God your God? You're a Christadelphian, aren't you? If you're not a Christadelphian, you know you should be, and you know that we want you to be, and you know that Jesus died so you could be, because Christ's brother means Christadelphian. And so, happy are you if God is your God. And if he's not, well then, that's your fault. It's something to do. You've got something to do, haven't you? Jesus says, come to me. All ye that labor and heavy laden, we think, boy, am I working hard? i got labors, I'm heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, he says. I'll help you. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'll help you, says Jesus. Oh no, I want to do it myself. Why would we ever want to do it ourselves when Jesus wants to help us? True happiness is being yoked together with Jesus. And if you yoke up with Jesus, and you believe what Paul said, and you accept God as your Father, you are miserable? How could you be miserable with the faith and the hope that you have? You have the hope. We're the aristocracy of the world. We are the God's chosen people. We are a royal nation, a peculiar people, a chosen generation. That's you. And you're not happy? What would it take to make you happy? You have to decide that you are going to be happy. And you're going to be happy because you're going to count your blessings. You're going to be happy because you belong to Jesus. And you're going to be happy in whatever state you're in. And you're going to be happy because you can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth you. And so, today, your homework from a memory viewpoint, is very easy. It's just that one little verse. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. But that's just the memory part. You've got written work today, besides. <laughs> you have a, a new, new, new little slip that you would receive. You're going to make a list of the things you're thankful for. Now, you could make a list of all the things that, are, that, are, that you're unthankful for. But that's pessimism and negativism, and you don't want to do that. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Verse 19 of chapter 4. I want you to then, please, can't make you, list your blessings. If you're married, put down as one of your blessings your spouse. A good wife is of the Lord. And a good husband, I'm sure, is too. Thank God for your children. Make a list. You can use the back. You can use more peach. You can go make as much. But make a list of all the things you're thankful for. You've got eyes. You all, well, nearly all of us can see. Brother Martin cannot. But he can be happy, though blind. He has the hope that blind shall see. Some of you are deaf. The deaf will hear. Some of you are lame. The lame shall leap. Again, leap. Some of you can't leap for joy, but, but, but try to leap. <laughs> leap mentally if you can't leap physically. But, but decide that you, because you choose your feelings, choose to be happy in the Lord. Believe that this Bible is a living book and these things were written for your learning. Remember, brethren and sisters, you can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth you.